Welcome to the Nach Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. I look forward to our schedule settling down a bit and getting a bit more consistent after the Chagim, but for now, we will have to deal with the podcast coverage being a bit spotty. Yesterday, in our individual study, we completed the Shimshon narrative. And with that, we completed the middle section of the Sefer. You'll recall that Sefer Shoftim has three parts. It opens with a framing text reflecting generally on the still unfinished nature of the conquest. That in turn sets up part two of the Sefer, which records the lives and careers of various Shoftim, each one as part of a cycle of national sin, punishment, and salvation. That's part two. Now in part two, even though it's a cycle and things are generally recurring, it's important to note, as hopefully we've been able to develop, that each Shofit is really distinct. And generally there's a, a kind of downward trajectory that is taking uh, place. Each Shofit is having a uh, less positive uh, impact on the nation. They have uh, lesser abilities uh, to demonstrate leadership, to impact lasting change, and even to maintain their own religious and moral integrity. That's part two of the Sefer, and now we begin part three. Part three does not have any shoftim. There are no uh, good guys, even uh, kind of complex good guys that are, you know, perhaps more complicated than simply just a a biblical hero. Uh, There are are basically no good guys in part three of this Sefer, and uh, it's important to recognize that these stories are recorded here at the end of the Sefer, uh, not because Sefer Shoftim is interested in capturing all of uh, the history of the Jewish people, and, and this is these are important events for everyone to simply know. They're recorded here to make an argument, to make a particular point. And the basic message of these stories is that we have the nation has sunk to such a, 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 a depth that a king was needed to restore order, to restore morality, to restore the priesthood, and, and much, much more. The king is being held up in these prakim as the great panacea to a slew of deep-seated problems that we're going to now encounter over the course of these next prakim. So in today's parak, uh, the 17th parak, we meet uh, Michaihu, or who he's also re- referred to as Micha, so we're going to refer to him as Micha. And we're given a bit of backstory regarding Micha. Uh, the first uh, few psukim are jam-packed with information, and we can unpack it as follows. Micha's mother had a large sum of money, which was lost. She realized that it, was, that it was taken, that it was stolen, and she cursed terribly the thief. Micha then admits to, her, to his mother that he was the one who stole the money. And now Micha's mother feels terrible because perhaps she's scared that the, the curse will, will impact her son. And so, as a result, she donates the money to build a shul. That's her kind of redemptive act. Beautiful. Okay, wonderful. She made a mistake and recovered. But uh, as we learn, the shul, uh, so to speak, is, uh, includes, is centered around graven and, and molten images, things that are obviously prohibited in the Torah. And so we're looking at a deeply skewed, problematic form of worship. Perhaps it's not foreign worship. It's not too foreign gods necessarily, but it's some sort of syncretistic practice merging Israelite monotheism with pagan rites. It's obviously you know, so far off from normative and correct and acceptable uh, forms of, of divine worship. Micha likes uh, this little breakaway shtibel minion temple of his very, very much, and he donates to it, uh, in addition, priestly vestments and ritual objects, and he really relishes uh, this this new 
temple of his. And then we learn, that's kind of part one of this parak. And then we learn that a, 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 a Levi, a Levite was passing by and Micha asks him if he's looking for a steller, if he's looking for a position. And he says, yes, the pay was good. And so he becomes the officiating rabbi, so to speak, the officiating priest of this little breakaway temple. And that's, uh, that's, that's the conclusion of the parak. It, it, it ends by telling us that Micha was just very, very happy. He was absolutely smitten with his whole arrangement. Now, obviously, there's so much wrong in this story. Firstly, we have to, of course, blame parents. We do that uh, often. So let's, let's take a moment to blame Micha's mother. Uh, she certainly is an important part of this parak and is clearly a, a terrible role model first in, in her cursing, and then in donating the, these, the, the money towards graven images to try to redeem herself. Mothers play a critical role in Tanakh, and their behavior has a profound and obvious, very clear impact on their children's lives. Remember that the rabbis tell us that Shmuel wrote Sefer Shoftim. And so it's fair to read Shoftim in light of Sefer Shmuel, um, Shmuel also writes Sefer Shmuel. And so even though this is achronological achrono- a- to compare characters and events in Shoftim to Shmuel, it's, uh, it's literarily fine to do so because they're both written at this, by the same hand. And so we actually spent a little bit of time contrasting Chana to Eshes Manoach, Shimshon's mother. We said that right, Chana is Shmuel's mother. Eshes Manoach is Shimshon's mother. So Chana prayed and offered her son uh, for an, an elevated religious life. Eshes Manoach didn't pray, just the angel simply appeared to her, and she was simply told that her son would be a Nazir, would have this kind of elevated religious status. So they're obviously kind of in conversation with each other, and uh, obviously the outcomes of these uh, two mothers' uh, actions or inactions uh, play out very clearly in the lives of their children. Here again, it's so significant that Micha's mother is so obviously a bad role model who sets her son down a certain spiritual road, just like Chana does. Micha's mother also sets him down a certain spiritual road, but does so in a way that leads him very far off course. So again, mothers are so important in determining uh, their son's ultimate success. And we can say more generally that the health of the mother-child relationship uh, reflects on the general health of the Israelite home, the family unit. Uh, And so in Shoftim, we're seeing the deterioration of the home, of family life. And the fact that Micha stole the money also uh, bespeaks that same notion that there's a degeneration happening here in the, in the family unit itself. Beyond the home front, on a religious level, we're, we're also seeing uh, how bad things have become. Micha and his mother both think that they're acting piously by creating this temple. The Sefer makes a point to tell us that Micha is, is all too sanguine uh, with this arrangement. Uh, so we see this erosion of the basic sense of, mo- of religious right and wrong. So that's two dimensions, the family life and religious life. And beyond that, beyond the fact that they're completely missing the mark religiously, um, we're also seeing that the very class of people who are, uh, who are set up to be the corrective, to educate, to teach, are only interested in money and honor and are obviously corrupt and off base. And I'm referring here to the, to, to the Levi character in this parak. And, uh, and Presumably, this levy is a kind of stand-in for the levium, the priestly class in general during this time. Levium are charged to be the teachers, to be the religious and moral role models. And yet here, 
either this Levi doesn't know the difference between correct and totally egregiously wrong religious practice, or he doesn't care to because the paycheck is right. And as we'll see in the next parak, uh, he'll get a, a different opportunity uh, to, to be uh, the, the, the rabbi of a different uh, pagan uh, problematic shtibel, and he'll, he'll take that because it's a greater, it's a greater kavod and a greater paycheck. So he's obviously uh, corrupt one way or another. Um, and so, um, either way, this situation is pretty terrible. And the, the picture that we get of Bnei Israel here is pretty much uh, of being rotten to the core. Hard as, as hard as that is to say, that's obviously the thesis of this perek. And next perek, we will add just general anarchy, lawlessness, and violence to this list of vices uh, of which the Bnei Israel are guilty. As we noted. The story is punctuated by the refrain, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Each man did as he saw fit. And so, as I noted, the king is being held up as the panacea. If there was a king, he could restore religious order, restore family life, restore a proper priesthood. He could restore law and order. And, uh, and so the king is obviously... Um, the answer to all of these questions. That's the thesis of these last prakim of Sefer Shmuel. Ultimately, it's Chana, the great, uh, the great righteous uh, matriarch of, uh, of Shmuel, the mother of Shmuel, um, who will produce Shmuel uh, through her, her acts of piety. Uh, Shmuel will then usher in the kingship, and that will in turn usher in the golden years of Bnei Israel under the leadership of David HaMelech and Shlomo HaMelech. But before we can get there, before we can get to Sefer Shmuel, uh, so Sefer Shoftim needs to drive home the need for the king, needs to drive home this point uh, even deeper, even further, as things turn from bad to worse to then much worse. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of where we are in the trajectory of this Sefer as it then swings into Sefer Shmuel. Before I conclude, I just want to note, um, because I think it's helpful as you, as you learn this individually, as you read these prakim for yourself, that even though these prakim are very sad and, and really tragic, they're written with a certain dark sense of irony and sarcasm, such that they're almost comical. And they should be read as such, because they're written for us to, to see them, as, to, to see the absurdity of the nation. And, and they should be read accordingly. I don't think reading them in this way undermines the message. I think it helps us understand, understand the message. So you know, tragedy and comedy are often deeply linked. And I think these last prakim should be read as a kind of tragic, dark comedy. Um, that's it for today. Chazak ve'amatz and happy learning.